Hello and welcome back to Another World Audiobooks. It feels like I'm just getting back in the saddle because I did a bunch of pre-recording and then I was gone for my microphone for a while, but now I'm back. So I've got a lot of YouTube and uh, podcast comments from social media to catch up on, so I'm going to run through those. Huge shout out to Bob Fortune on YouTube who said, Thanks, Another World, a real gem of a book and quite a wonderfully enjoyable read. Thanks so much, Bob. I'm really glad that you enjoyed that there on YouTube. And uh, if you didn't know, Another World Audiobooks is on YouTube. So definitely check that out. also want to give a huge shout out to Brianna Howes, a new patron on Anchor. So thank you, Brianna, for signing up to be a patron. That is so awesome. I'm so grateful for each and every one of our amazing patrons who help support the podcast. Thank you to Brianna. And also thank you to Mike and Corky Thompson. And to Renee for supporting the podcast. I could not do this out with you. So thank you so much to each and every one of you. And yeah, thanks to all the new YouTube subscribers. I don't know if you guys are going from YouTube over to the podcast at all. But if you are, we're getting a bunch of new YouTube subscribers. So if you want to check out the full uh, free versions of the audiobooks, you can check them out on YouTube. And I always mention that, or I don't always mention this, but I should, that uh, if you go to anotherworldaudiobooks.com, you can actually request a free audiobook. So that's a nice uh, little perk there for being a listener. So thank you guys. It was so cool to see all the social media interaction and stuff. So really glad to connect with you there. But yeah, now, without further ado, let's get on with the next two chapters of Emma. Chapter 17 When the ladies returned to the drawing room after dinner, Emma found it hardly possible to prevent their making two distinct parties. With so much perseverance in judging and behaving ill did Mrs. Elton engross Jane Fairfax and slight herself. She and Mrs. Weston were obliged to be almost always either talking together or silent together. Mrs. Elton left them no choice. If Jane repressed her for a little time, she soon began again and though much that passed between them was an half-whisper, especially on Mrs. Elton's side, there was no avoiding a knowledge of their principal subjects. The post-office, catching cold, fetching letters, and friendship were long under discussion, and to them succeeded one which must be at least equally unpleasant to Jane, inquiries whether she had yet heard of any situation likely to suit her, and professions of Mrs. Elton's meditated activity. "'Here is April come,' said she. "'I get quite anxious about you. "'June will soon be here.' "'But I have never fixed on June or any other month. "'Merely look forward to the summer in general.' "'But have you really heard of nothing?' "'I have not even made any inquiry. "'I do not wish to make any yet.' "'Oh, my dear, we cannot begin too early. "'You are not aware of the difficulty of procuring exactly the desirable thing.' "'I am not aware,' said Jane, shaking her head. "'Dear Mrs. Elton, who can have thought of it as I have done?' "'But you have not seen so much of the world as I have. "'You do not know how many candidates there always are for the first situations. "'I saw a vast deal of that in the neighbourhood round Maple Grove. "'A cousin of Mr. Suckling, Mrs. Bragg, had such an infinity of applications. "'Everybody was anxious to be in her family, for she moves in the first circle.' Wax candles in the schoolroom, you may imagine how desirable. Of all houses in the kingdom, Mrs. Bragg's is the one I would most wish to see you in. Colonel and Mrs. Campbell are to be in town again by midsummer, said Jane. I must spend some time with them. I am sure they will want it. 
Afterwards, I may probably be glad to dispose of myself, but I would not wish you to take the trouble of making any inquiries at present. Trouble? Ah, I know your scruples. You are afraid of giving me trouble. But I assure you, my dear Jane, the Campbells can hardly be more interested about you than I am. I shall write to Mrs. Partridge in a day or two, and shall give her a strict charge to be on the lookout for anything eligible. Thank you, but I would rather you did not mention the subject to her. Till the time draws nearer, I do not wish to be giving anybody trouble. But, my dear child, the time is drawing near. Here is April, and June, or say even July, is very near, with such business to accomplish before us. Your inexperience really amuses me. A situation such as you deserve, and your friends would require for you, is no everyday occurrence. Is not obtained at a moment's notice. Indeed, indeed, we must begin inquiring directly. Excuse me, ma'am. But this is by no means my intention. I make no inquiry myself, and should be sorry to have any made by my friends. When I am quite determined as to the time, I am not at all afraid of being long unemployed. There are places in town, offices, where inquiry would soon produce something. Offices for the sale, not quite of human flesh, but of human intellect. <laughs> my dear human flesh, you quite shock me. If you mean a fling at the slave trade, I assure you Mr. Suckling was always rather a friend to the abolition. I did not mean I was not thinking of the slave trade, replied Jane. Governess trade, I assure you, was all that I had in view. Widely different, certainly, as to the guilt of those who carry it on, but as to the greater misery of the victims, I do not know where it lies. But I only mean to say that there are advertising offices, and that by applying to them I should have no doubt of very soon meeting with something that would do. Something that would do? repeated Mrs. Elton. Aye, that may suit your humble ideas of yourself. I know what a modest creature you are, but it will not satisfy your friends to have you taking up with anything that may offer any inferior, commonplace situation in a family not moving in a certain circle, or able to command the elegancies of life. You are very obliging, but as to all that I am very indifferent. It would be no object to me to be with the rich— my mortifications, I think, would only be the greater. I should suffer more from comparison. A gentleman's family is all that I should condition for. I know you, I know you. You would take up with anything, but I shall be a little more nice, and I am sure the good Campbells will be quite on my side. With your superior talents, you have a right to move in the first circle. Your musical knowledge alone would entitle you to name your own terms, have as many rooms as you like, and mix in the family as much as you choose. That is... I do not know. If you knew the harp, you might do all that, I am very sure. But you sing as well as play. Yes, I really believe you might, even without the harp, stipulate for what you choose, and you must and shall be delightfully, honourably, and comfortably settled before the Campbells or I have any rest. You may well class the delight, the honour, and the comfort of such a situation together, said Jane. They are pretty sure to be equal— However, I am very serious in not wishing anything to be attempted at present for me. 
I am exceedingly obliged to you, Mrs. Elton. I am obliged to anybody who feels for me, but I am quite serious in wishing nothing to be done till the summer. For two or three months longer, I shall remain where I am, and as I am. And I am quite serious too, I assure you, replied Mrs. Elton gaily, in resolving to be always on the watch, and employing my friends to watch also, that nothing really unexceptionable may pass us. In this style she ran on, never thoroughly stopped by anything, till Mr. Woodhouse came into the room. Her vanity had then a change of object, and Emma heard her saying in the same half-whisper to Jane, "'Here comes this dear old beau of mine, I protest. Only think of his gallantry in coming away before the other men. What a dear creature he is! I assure you, I like him excessively. I admire all that quaint, old-fashioned politeness. It is much more to my taste than modern ease. Modern ease often disgusts me. But this good old Mr. Woodhouse, I wish you had heard his gallant speeches to me at dinner. Oh, I assure you, I began to think my corosposo would be absolutely jealous. I fancy I am rather a favourite. He took notice of my gown. How do you like it? Selina's choice, handsome, I think, but I do not know whether it is not over-trimmed. I have the greatest dislike to the idea of being over-trimmed. Quite a horror of finery. I must put on a few ornaments now, because it is expected of me. A bride, you know, must appear like a bride. But my natural taste is all for simplicity. A simple style of dress is so infinitely preferable to finery. But I am quite in the minority, I believe. Few people seem to value simplicity of dress— Show and finery are everything. I have some notion of putting such a trimming as this to my white and silver poplin. Do you think it will look well? The whole party were just reassembled in the drawing-room when Mr. Weston made his appearance among them. He had returned to a late dinner and walked to Hartfield as soon as it was over. He had been too much expected by the best judges for surprise, but there was great joy. Mr. Woodhouse was almost as glad to see him now, as he would have been sorry to see him before. John Knightley only was in mute astonishment, that a man who might have spent his evening quietly at home after a day of business in London should set off again and walk half a mile to another man's house, for the sake of being in mixed company till bedtime, of finishing his day in the efforts of civility and the noise of numbers, was a circumstance to strike him deeply. A man who had been in motion since eight o'clock in the morning, and might now have been still, who had been long talking and might have been silent, who had been in more than one crowd and might have been alone, such a man, to quit the tranquillity and independence of his own fireside, and on the evening of a cold, sleety April day, rush out again into the world. Could he, by a touch of his finger, have instantly taken back his wife, there would have been a motive, but his coming would probably prolong, rather than break up the party. John Knightley looked at him with amazement, then shrugged his shoulders and said, "'I could not have believed it even of him.' Mr. Weston, meanwhile, perfectly unsuspicious of the indignation he was exciting, happy and cheerful as usual, and with all the right of being principal talker, which a day spent anywhere from home confers, was making himself agreeable among the rest, and having satisfied the inquiries of his wife as to his dinner, convincing her that none of all her careful directions to the servants had been forgotten, and spread abroad what public news he had heard, was proceeding to a family communication which, though principally addressed to Mrs. Weston, he had not the smallest doubt of being highly interesting to everybody in the room. 
He gave her a letter, it was from Frank, and to herself. He had met with it in his way, and had taken the liberty of opening it. "'Read it, read it,' said he. "'It will give you pleasure. Only a few lines will not take you long. Read it to Emma.' The two ladies looked over it together, and he sat smiling and talking to them the whole time, in a voice a little subdued, but very audible to everybody. "'Well, he is coming, you see. Good news, I think. Well, what do you say to it? I always told you he would be here again soon, did I not? And, my dear, did not I always tell you, and you would not believe me? In town next week, you see, at the latest, I dare say, for she is as impatient as the black gentleman when anything is to be done. Most likely they will be there tomorrow or Saturday.' As to her illness, all nothing, of course, but it is an excellent thing to have Frank among us again so near to town. They will stay a good while when they do come, and he will be half his time with us. This is precisely what I wanted. Well, pretty good news, is it not? Have you finished it? Has Emma read it all? Put it up, put it up. We will have a good talk about it some other time, but it will not do now. I shall only just mention the circumstance to the others in a common way. Mrs. Weston was most comfortably pleased on the occasion. Her looks and words had nothing to restrain them. She was happy, and she knew she was happy, and knew she ought to be happy. Her congratulations were warm and open, but Emma could not speak so fluently. She was a little occupied in weighing her own feelings, and trying to understand the degree of her agitation which she rather thought was considerable. Mr. Weston, however, too eager to be very observant, too communicative to want others to talk, was very well satisfied with what she did say, and soon moved away to make the rest of his friends happy by a partial communication of what the whole room must have overheard already. It was well that he took everybody's joy for granted, or he might not have thought either Mr. Woodhouse or Mr. Knightley particularly delighted. They were the first entitled, after Mrs. Weston and Emma, to be made happy— from them he would have proceeded to Miss Fairfax, but she was so deep in conversation with John Knightley that it would have been too positive an interruption, and finding himself close to Mrs. Elton and her attention disengaged, he necessarily began on the subject with her. Chapter 18 "'I hope I shall soon have the pleasure of introducing my son to you,' said Mr. Weston. Mrs. Elton, very willing to suppose a particular compliment intended her by such a hope, smiled most graciously. "'You have heard of a certain Frank Churchill, I presume,' he continued, "'and know him to be my son, though he does not bear my name.' "'Oh, yes, and I shall be very happy in his acquaintance. I am sure Mr. Elton will lose no time in calling on him, and we shall both have great pleasure in seeing him at the vicarage.' "'You are very obliging. Frank will be extremely happy, I am sure. He is to be in town next week, if not sooner. We have notice of it in a letter today. I met the letter in my way this morning, and, seeing my son's hand, presumed to open it, though it was not directed to me. It was to Mrs. Weston. She is his principal correspondent, I assure you. I hardly ever get a letter.' "'And so you absolutely opened what was directed to her. "'Oh, Mr. Weston! <laughs> "'I must protest against that. "'A most dangerous precedent indeed. "'I beg you will not let your neighbours follow your example. "'Upon my word, 
If this is what I'm to expect, we married women must begin to exert ourselves. Oh, Mr. Weston, I could not have believed it of you. Aye, we men are sad fellows. You must take care of yourself, Mrs. Elton. This letter tells us, it is a short letter, written in a hurry, merely to give us notice. It tells us that they are all coming up to town directly on Mrs. Churchill's account. She has not been well the whole winter, and thinks Enscombe too cold for her, so they are all to move southward without loss of time. Indeed. For Yorkshire, I think. Enscombe is in Yorkshire. Yes, they are about one hundred and ninety miles from London. A considerable journey. Yes, upon my word, very considerable. Sixty-five miles farther than from Maple Grove to London. But what is distance, Mr. Weston, to people of large fortune? You will be amazed to hear how my brother, Mr. Suckling, sometimes flies about. You will hardly believe me, but twice in one week he and Mr. Bragg went to London and back again with four horses. The evil of the distance from Enscombe, said Mr. Weston is that Mrs. Churchill, as we understand, has not been able to leave the sofa for a week together. In Frank's last letter she complained, he said, of being too weak to get into her conservatory, without having both his arm and his uncle's. This, you know, speaks a great degree of weakness, but now she is so impatient to be in town that she means to sleep only two nights on the road. So, Frank writes word, certainly delicate ladies have very extraordinary constitutions, Mrs. Elton. You must grant me that. No, indeed, I shall grant you nothing. I always take the part of my own sex. I do indeed, I give you notice. You will find me a formidable antagonist on that point. I always stand up for women, and I assure you, if you knew how Selina feels with respect of sleeping to an inn, you would not consider at Mrs. Churchill's making incredible exertions to avoid it. Selina says it is quite horror to her, and I believe I have caught a little of her nicety. She always travels with her own sheets, an excellent precaution. Does Mrs. Churchill do the same? Depend upon it, Mrs. Churchill does everything that any other fine lady ever did. Mrs. Churchill will not be second to any lady in the land for— Mrs. Elton eagerly interposed with— Oh, Mr. Weston, do not mistake me. Selina is no fine lady, I assure you. Do not run away with such an idea. Is not she? Then she is no rule for Mrs. Churchill, who is as thorough a fine lady as anybody ever beheld. Mrs. Elton began to think she had been wrong in disclaiming so warmly. It was by no means her object to have it believed that her sister was not a fine lady. Perhaps there was a want of spirit in the pretense of it, and she was considering in what way she had best retract when Mr. Weston went on. "'Mrs. Churchill is not much in my good graces, as you may suspect. "'But this is quite between ourselves. "'She is very fond of Frank, and therefore I will not speak ill of her.' Besides, she is out of health now, but that, indeed, by her own account, she has always been. I would not say so to everybody, Mrs. Elton, but I have not much faith in Mrs. Churchill's illness. If she is really ill, why not go to Bath, Mr. Weston? To Bath, or to Clifton? She has taken it into her head that Enscombe is too cold for her. The fact is, I suppose, that she is tired of Enscombe. She has now been a longer time stationary there than she ever was before, and she begins to want change. 
It is a retired place. A fine place, but very retired. I like Maple Grove, I dare say. Nothing can stand more retired from the road than Maple Grove. Such an immense plantation all round it. You seem shut out from everything, in the most complete retirement, and Mrs. Churchill probably has not health or spirits like Selina to enjoy that sort of seclusion. Or perhaps she may not have the resources enough in herself to be qualified for a country life. I always say a woman cannot have too many resources, and I feel very thankful that I have so many myself as to be quite independent of society. Frank was here in February for a fortnight. So I remember to have heard. He will find an addition to the Society of Highbury when he comes again. That is, if I may presume so to call myself an addition. But perhaps he may never have heard of there being such a creature in the world. This was too loud a call for a compliment to be passed by, and Mr. Weston, in a very good grace, immediately exclaimed, "'My dear madame, nobody but yourself could imagine such a thing possible. Not heard of you. I believe Mrs. Weston's letters lately have been full of very little else than Mrs. Elton.' He had done his duty, and could return to his son. "'When Frank left us,' he continued, it was quite uncertain when we might see him again, which makes this day's news doubly welcome. It has been completely unexpected. That is, I always had a strong persuasion he would be here again soon. I was sure something favourable would turn up, but nobody believed me. He and Mrs. Weston were both dreadfully desponding. How could he contrive to come? And how would it be supposed that his uncle and aunt would spare him again? And so forth. I always felt that something would happen in our favour, and so it has, you see. I have observed, Mrs. Elton, in the course of my life, that if things are going untowardly one month, they are sure to mend the next. Very true, Mr. Weston, perfectly true. It is just what I used to say to a certain gentleman in company in the days of courtship, when, because things did not go quite right, did not proceed with all the rapidity which suited his feelings, he was apt to be in despair, and exclaimed that he was sure, at this rate, it would be May before Hyman's saffron robe would be put on for us. <laughs> the pains I have been at to dispel those gloomy ideas, and give him cheerfuller views— the carriage. We had disappointments about the carriage. One morning, I remember, he came to me quite in despair. She was stopped by a slight fit of coughing, and Mr. Weston instantly seized the opportunity to go on. You were mentioning May. May is the very month which Mrs. Churchill has ordered, or has ordered herself, to spend in some warmer place than Enscombe. In short, to spend in London, so that we have the agreeable prospect of frequent visits from Frank the whole spring. Precisely the season of the year which one should have chosen for it. Days almost at the longest, weather genial and pleasant, always inviting one out, and never too hot for exercise. When he was here before, we made the best of it, but there was a good deal of wet, damp, cheerless weather. There always is in February, you know, and we could not do half that we intended. Now will be the time. This will be complete enjoyment, and I do not know, Mrs. Elton, whether the uncertainty of our meetings, the sort of constant expectation there will be of his coming in today or tomorrow, and at any hour, may not be more friendly to happiness than having him actually in the house. I think it is so. I think it is the state of mind which gives most spirit and delight. I hope you will be pleased with my son, but you must not expect a prodigy. 
He is generally thought a fine young man, but do not expect a prodigy. Mrs. Weston's partiality for him is very great, and, as you may suppose, most gratifying to me. She thinks nobody equal to him. And I assure you, Mr. Weston, I have very little doubt that my opinion will be decidedly in his favour. I have heard so much in praise of Mr. Frank Churchill. At the same time, it is fair to observe that I am one of those who always judge for themselves, and are by no means implicitly guided by others. I give you notice that, as I find your son, so I shall judge of him. I am no flatterer. Mr. Weston was musing. "'I hope,' said he presently, "'I have not been severe upon poor Mrs. Churchill. "'If she is ill, I should be sorry to do her injustice. "'But there are some traits in her character "'which make it difficult for me to speak of her "'with the forbearance I could wish. "'You cannot be ignorant, Mrs. Elton, "'of my connection with the family, "'nor of the treatment I have met with. "'And between ourselves, "'the whole blame of it is to be laid to her.' She was the instigator. Frank's mother would never have been slighted, as she was, but for her. Mr. Churchill has pride, but his pride is nothing to his wife's. His is a quiet, indolent, gentlemanlike sort of pride that would harm nobody, and only make himself a little helpless and tiresome. But her pride is arrogance and insolence, and what inclines one less to bear, she has no fair pretense of family or blood. She was nobody when he married her, barely the daughter of a gentleman, but ever since her being turned into a Churchill, she has out-Churchilled them all in high and mighty claims. But in herself, I assure you, she is an upstart. Only think! Well, that must be infinitely provoking. I have quite a horror of upstarts. Maple Grove has given me a thorough disgust at people of that sort. But there is a family in that neighbourhood who are such an annoyance to my brother and sister from the airs they give themselves. Your description of Mrs. Churchill made me think of them directly. People of the name of Tupman, very lately settled there, and encumbered with many low connections, but giving themselves immense airs, and expecting to be on a footing with the old established families. A year and a half is the very utmost that they can have lived at West Hall, and how they got their fortune nobody knows. They came from Birmingham, which is not a place to promise much, you know, Mr. Weston. One has not great hopes from Birmingham. I always say there is something direful in the sound, but nothing more is positively known of the Tupmans, though a good many things, I assure you, are suspected, and yet, by their manners, they evidently think themselves equal even to my brother, Mr. Suckling, who happens to be one of their nearest neighbours. It is infinitely too bad, Mr. Suckling, who has been eleven years a resident at Maple Grove, and whose father had it before him, I believe, at least. I am almost sure that old Mr. Suckling had completed the purchase before his death. They were interrupted. Tea was carrying round, and Mr. Weston, having said all that he wanted, soon took the opportunity of walking away. After tea, Mr. and Mrs. Weston and Mr. Elton sat down with Mr. Woodhouse to cards. The remaining five were left to their own powers, and Emma doubted their getting on very well, for Mr. Knightley seemed little disposed for conversation. 
Mrs. Elton was wanting notice, which nobody had inclination to pay, and she was herself in a worry of spirits which would have made her prefer being silent. Mr. John Knightley proved more talkative than his brother. He was to leave them early the next day, and he soon began with, "'Well, Emma, I do not believe I have anything more to say about the boys. But you have your sister's letter, and everything is down at full length there, we may be sure.' My charge would be much more concise than hers, and probably not much in the same spirit. All that I have to recommend being comprised in do not spoil them, and do not physic them. I rather hope to satisfy you both, said Emma, for I shall do all my power to make them happy, which will be enough for Isabella, and happiness must preclude false indulgence and physic. And if you find them troublesome, you must send them home again. That is very likely. You think so, do not you? I hope I am aware that they may be too noisy for your father, or even may be some encumbrance to you, if your visiting engagements continue to increase as much as they have done lately. Increase? Certainly. You must be sensible that the last half-year has made a great difference in your way of life. Difference? No, indeed, I am not. There can be no doubt of your being much more engaged with company than you used to be. Witness this very time. Here I am come down for only one day, and you are engaged with a dinner party. When did it happen before, or anything like it? Your neighbourhood is increasing, and you mix more with it. A little while ago, every letter to Isabella brought an account of fresh gaieties, dinner at Mr. Cole's, or balls at the Crown. The difference which Randall's, Randall's alone, makes in your goings-on is very great. Yes, said his brother quickly. It is Randall's that does it all. Very well, and as Randall's, I suppose, is not likely to have less influence than heretofore, it strikes me as a possible thing, Emma, that Henry and John may be sometimes in the way, and if they are, I only beg you to send them home. No cried Mr. Knightley. That need not be the consequence. Let them be sent to Donwell. I shall certainly be at leisure. Upon my word, exclaimed Emma, you amuse me. I should like to know how many of all my numerous engagements take place without your being of the party, and why I am to be supposed in danger of wanting leisure to attend to the little boys. These amazing engagements of mine, what have they been?' "'Dining once with the Coles, and having a ball talked of, which never took place. "'I can understand you,' nodding at Mr. John Knightley. "'Your good fortune in meeting with so many of your friends at once here "'delights you too much to pass unnoticed. "'But you,' turning to Mr. Knightley, "'who know how very, very seldom I am ever two hours from Hartfield, "'why you should foresee such a series of dissipation for me I cannot imagine.' And as to my dear little boys, I must say that if Aunt Emma has not time for them, I do not think they would fare much better with Uncle Knightley, who is absent from home about five hours where she is absent one, and who, when he is at home, is either reading to himself or settling his accounts. Mr. Knightley seemed to be trying not to smile, and succeeded without difficulty upon Mrs. Elton's beginning to talk to him. 
Thus concludes volume two of Emma. We are on to the final volume, volume three of this book. So we're getting getting on toward the end. Hope you guys are enjoying it. Uh, it is a bit of a long one, so I'm looking forward to wrapping this one up. It's It's been fun, though. It's been fun. It's a fun ride. Hope you guys are enjoying it. If you are, I'd love to hear from you. Just uh, let me know what book you'd like to do next. That always makes my day when I hear from people, and I got have had some suggestions, so weighing all the options here. But yeah, get your feedback in. Let me know what you think of the podcast. Let me know where you're listening to the podcast. We'd love to connect with you and uh, yeah, just share this journey together. All right. Thanks guys for listening and we'll catch you next week. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.